This morning we are in our Remedy series, and we're talking about, Pastor Brian did a great job starting it last week, and we're just talking in the month of December, we just thought we'd talk about um, remedy, the fact that Jesus, as Pastor Brian talked about last week, is the ultimate remedy to this world. You know, we all look around us and we see pain and hurt. You can look as far as the Philippines with natural disasters. You can look at the Middle East and the, and the war and some of the wars that are going on in Africa and African nations now, and you can look and there is pain and hurt, but you don't have to look that far. You can look in your own family, your own neighborhood, your own uh, situations, and there is pain, and there is hurt. Someone's sick. Someone's uh, been diagnosed with something they didn't expect. Somebody died before you expected them to die. Somebody um, is going through a difficulty financially. You don't have to look very far to know that we live in a world that is full of pain and hurt. And this time of year, we talk about Jesus coming into the world. And when we talk about Jesus coming into the world, we really talk about that Jesus is the ultimate remedy for the pain and hurt that we see around us. And as Pastor Brian shared that, that, that so simple and basic truth last week, that it all comes down, it all starts and ends with Jesus. But then for some reason, he wants to use us. For some reason, when we come to him, he wants us to be part of that remedy as well. For some reason, he wants us to be part of bringing help and not hurt, bringing healing and not harm to the world that we find ourselves in. If we look at our Lord when he walked this earth, the healings he brought and, and, and the forgiveness that he gave and the lives restored, and he wants us to partner with him in that. And so in some ways, we are called to work with God to be a remedy in this world. We're not the remedy. Jesus is. But for some reason, he wants to work through us to accomplish his will and his purpose. I think we all want to be the type of person that's part of the solution and not the problem. We all want to be givers and people who help and not hurt and bring hope and not healing. We live in a world where people want to be givers, we live in a world where people want to be and do good. I don't know if you've noticed it like I have, but have you noticed around us lately that it's more and more trendy to be good? It's more and more trendy to do good? Good sells now? It used to be when you had a company that you could just you know, create a desire for your product, make your product, sell your product, and make a profit. And that's what you did. That's what a company did. All you had to care about was your bottom line. But now there's something we hear about called corporate responsibility. You can't, it's not enough just to make your product and make a profit. You also have to care. You have to care about the environment. So many companies, if they build a building, they'll promote, you know, it's LEED certified or, you know, we care about the environment. It's, it's you know, a carbon neutral building and they're pro- trying to promote these ideas that we're doing good. We're not just out to make a profit. We're not just out, you know, we're, we're part of doing good as well. Or companies that advertise, they want to promote the good that they're doing. I don't know if you listen to Red Sox games like I do. Uh, you know, in the summertime, I enjoy uh, doing that. Uh, but I've noticed, maybe it was always like this, and maybe I'm just picking up on it, but it seems like every ad 
is connected. It can't be just an ad for a company. It's got to be connected with something else that they're doing, right? So you come to batters three through five and the giant part of the order. And uh, we, we've come to batters three through five. It's the giant part of the order. And for every home run hit by batters three through five in the giant part of the order, giant glass, will donate $500 to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, right? I mean, I think that's how it goes. And, and this company's donating to Dana-Farber, and this company's donating to Cancer Research, and the other company's donating to uh, Jimmy Fund or any other organizations. And so it's become trendy to do good. It's become profitable to do good. In fact, in some ways, in some companies, you might feel like you have to do good in order to make a profit. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's good that people want to help. I think it's good that people want to give money to these things. I don't know what their ultimate motive is, but I think that's, that's great that, that, that at least we have that mentality that corporations are challenged to do that. But I think when we talk about giving, and this time of year we talk a lot about giving, As a Christian, we need to think about what does it mean to truly give the way God wants us to give? Not when it's trendy, not when it's popular, not when it's going to get more money for the bottom line. What does it mean to give the way God wants us to give? I've been reading this passage in Luke this past week and reading it over and over. Just these three verses. Jesus was at a party a gathering, a dinner. He was invited there. And it's at a religious leader's house, a Pharisee. And I I don't know any more than that about the context. I imagine they're either sitting or reclining around the table where they've been eating. And if you've hosted a party, you know know how it is. You sit around and and if it goes well and things are going well and the food is is good and people are enjoying themselves, you kind of feel good about yourself. You like to, you know, you you like to be able to do that for people that uh, that you've invited. You like it to go well. And so I imagine that's kind of the way this religious leader is feeling. You know, he's invited probably his friends, but then he's got Jesus here who's like the most popular guy around right now, you know, so so he's got Jesus uh, hosting. Uh, He's hosting Jesus. And so he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I've just been reading those three verses over and over and over again this week and just been challenged by the giving that Jesus calls us to. Because I'm so much more used to the giving that's talked about really in verse 12 when I give a luncheon or a dinner, and maybe you are too, that we generally invite people we like and we generally invite people who are like us, right? Kind of invite people that we like and people who are like us. And that's pretty much what this Pharisee, this this religious leader did. But Jesus said, no, I don't want you to throw a party like that. When you give a luncheon, invite the people that nobody invites. Invite the people that never get the invitation. 
Invite the people that when you invite them, there's other people that you'd normally invite are going to say no thank you. Invite the people that can't pay you back. And I think about that type of giving and I think that's a different level of giving than we're used to seeing and than maybe what we're used to doing. I thought that's a, that's a different kind of, uh, of giving that Jesus, a different level that Jesus calls us to because I could, think that I could, I could see the host thinking, well, no one's going to find out about that. <laughs> no one's going to know how great a guy I am. No one's going to know how generous I am. Jesus was kind of saying, that's the point. God will see. God will see. You're right, none of your friends will see. No one that's going to pay you back and invite you, they're not going to see. But God sees. And I wonder if that type of giving is a place that God doesn't want all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ to get to. When's the last time we really looked and said, instead of giving this to someone who could maybe buy it for themselves, probably pay me back, probably reciprocal give something to me, or even give me a thanks, I'm going to give to someone who can't do any of those things. That's a challenge. That's a different level of giving that Jesus calls us to. It's a different level of giving that our world is usually used to. See, our world, when it comes to giving, I was thinking about how do, how do we usually give? Why do we usually give? And I thought about this. It kind of, we have to look at the beginning and the end of our giving. So we have this phrase in a Christmas song, right? So be good for goodness sake. It's kind of silly, isn't it? I mean, it's, when you think about it, be good for goodness sake. It doesn't even make sense. But we say it and we sing it. And I think many people in our world will, will think about it. Yeah, you just got to be good because it's good to be good. It's bad to not be good. Just be good. And it's amazing to me whenever people come from a, 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 a worldview that doesn't have a, a God involved in it, that there's any reason to be good. But somehow in their minds, and I'd like to think it's the image of God within them, it says it's good to be good. So there's, how do they do good? What motivates people to do good outside of, outside of a fallen Christ? I think sometimes it starts with us. It starts with us and goes to them. And the, what I mean by that is this. They say, you know what? I feel good about myself. I, wanna, I, I, wanna, I feel really good. I should share this. I want people to see me as a good person. You know, I, I am a good person, so I ought to be doing good things. And so people ought to see me being able to do good things. So it kind of starts with us, and they, they look around and say, what can I do that would be good? In fact, we get calls at the church. We got a couple this week that don't even come to the church, but they know we're at church, and they call up and they say, we want to do something good around Christmas time. Do you have something we could do? We got one call this week that was like that. And, you know, we try and find and connect them with something. And, and, and you know, one call, one particular call, say, so, you know, we get a couple hours, and, and these will we do. Do you have anything good we can do? And before you look down on them too much, keep in mind, most people don't even give the two hours. Right? So, but people want to do good. They say, you know, we're good people, so let's find them, whoever them are, and let's be good to them. And that's how giving kind of works sometimes. And the other way it kind of works is it works in reverse. Sometimes you're not thinking about yourself, but you walk by, you, something crosses your path, and you see a need. Something 
pops up on your television screen, screen and it connects with your heart and you say, ah, someone's going to do something about that. Or you're just walking through Boston and you see someone in need and you say, someone's going to do something about that. It starts with them and it ends with us because then after you do it, you feel good about yourself and that's good. I think that's something God has put within us that when we give, we end up feeling good about ourselves and there's, a, there's like a release of endorphins in our brain that feels really good. That's great. But sometimes that's where it starts and that's where it ends. It ends with us and them. We're good. They need help. We're going to be good to them. They need help. We're going to give. We feel good about ourselves. That's kind of how giving is, us and them. But what if we change it? Sometimes people inside the church, it's a little different. We would say, be good for God's sake. Right? Be good for God's sake. Don't be good for goodness sake. Be good for God's sake. And so giving, we change giving. It kind of looks a little like this. It, It might start with us. Hey, I'm a Christian. I follow God. I ought to be doing something for them. And so, you know, Christians ought to do something. And and so I want to do something. So it starts with me with a desire to do something. But the way we change it is at the end, we're going to say, oh, don't thank me, thank God. And at the end, we're going to give praise to God. At the end, we're going to give glory to God, which is good and right. We're going to give praise. We're going to say, we're going to say look, it's God. God allowed me to do it because God loves me. I want to show love to you. And so we kind of Christianize our giving by starting with us, giving to them, and giving glory to God. Or with some Christians, sometimes it works the opposite way. We start with God. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in God's presence. And you start to get God's heart for things. You start to get burdened for that person at the office who you know has some physical needs or that person in your neighborhood who you know really needs help and you're just in time in prayer with God and God just lays that burden on your heart and so, and so you, you pray about that and, and God works through you and you give to them and it ends there. And it, ends, it ends there. God gave you the burden, you gave to them and it was a blessing for them. But I think biblical giving is more this. God's good for God's sake. God, not our idea of good, not our idea of what needs to be done, not our idea of how to help, but getting in God's presence, getting in God's presence and finding out, God, what do you want to do? What would be pleasing to you? What do you where do you see pain? Where do you see hurt? And how can I get on board with that? And then in the midst of it, this is this making process, right? Us and them is in between there. It's not us better. It's not us on some different level as them. It's not us, you know, some different level before God. No, we're on the same level and God is making us into beautiful things, us through the giving process, perhaps them through the receiving process in this time. And then at the end, all glory goes to God once again. And so it's God's good for God's sake. And that, I think, is what biblical giving really is. That it starts and it ends with God. The recognition that as a Christian and as a follower of God, there is nothing I can do without God's strength and His power within me. That there's nothing good, nothing permanent, nothing eternal that I can do without God first empowering me and calling me to it. Nothing that's going to last in eternity. That I need God's enablement. I need God's uh, strength. And what it is, it's a God-given burden resulting in God-exalting praise. It's a God-given burden, you and I being obedient to it, and it resulting in God-exalting praise. And that's the kind of giving he calls it. What's God-exalting praise? It means you don't have to put your name on it. 
It means I don't have to put my name on it. It means you don't have to know what I did, and I don't have to know what you did because we're just going to, it's all for God. It's all for His glory. I don't have to get any of the praise for it. You say, well, where do you see this in the Scripture? I think one of the clearest places we see it is John chapter 15, where Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's the God-given burden. That's the beginning of the work. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If you spend time in my presence, that's where it begins. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that sounds strange. Nothing. Because I know people who seem to do things apart from Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But I know people who on that first slide of the us and them, they seem to do good things apart from Jesus. But Jesus must mean something else here. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, sowing yourselves to be my disciples. Bearing much fruit is really what he's getting at. You and I cannot bear what would be eternal fruit, things that will last past this world apart from Jesus Christ. You can save no one from hell. No one. You and I can't eternally change someone's destiny. Apart from Jesus, it doesn't happen. Apart from him and his work, it doesn't happen. And so he says, you know, apart from me, you, you can do nothing. And then this last part, this is to my father's glory. I'm sorry, flip back to that last one. The last verse in here. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. In other words, that's the God-exalting praise. God-exalting praise. So what's the fruit? What's the work? It's on this last part. I'm going to jump down to verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus says, if you remain in me, this is what you'll get. You'll get this burden to love people. And then when you love people and you do that, my Father will get glory. And that's the whole idea of Christian giving, that you remain in God's presence. And when you get in God's presence, all of a sudden, you start to get God's desires. You start to get God's burdens. All of a sudden, it bothers you that you have something that could benefit someone else and be a blessing to someone else and you haven't done it for them. All of a sudden, James 4.17, where it says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin, starts to bother you because I've got a God-given burden that recognizes that I am called to love and do what I can and do good wherever I can for the people around me. And so I get that God-given burden that says there's a problem I can do something about it. I should do something about it. And I'm going to praise God in the doing it. And at the end of it, God gets praise from it. It's kind of like this. I was thinking of a, a, a way to explain it. I like to get my kids, you know, and maybe you do too, those of your parents, helping around the house, you know, partnering with things you're doing around the house, right? And my kids are finally kind of getting to the age where it's actual help sometimes, Right? Sometimes not. 
And so this time of year, right, you're, you're, you're raking leaves, right? We're doing the raking. And, uh, and so raking leaves I could probably do quicker on my own, right? Because when the kids come out to rake the leaves, we've got to rake them in a pile, and then we've got to jump in the pile, and then we're going to take pictures of people jumping in the pile. Then we're going to take videos of people jumping in the pile. Then we're going to send those pictures and videos to other people so they can see them jumping in the pile. And, and then we gotta, they got to hold the bag, and they rip the bag, and the rake falls apart, and they get tired of doing it like within 10 minutes. And it's taken me way longer than it would have if I just raked the leaves myself. But I still want my kids to help me rake the leaves. Why? I don't need them to help me rake the leaves. And you know what? God doesn't need you to do anything for him. God doesn't need you to fix anything. God doesn't need us to fix his world. God doesn't need us to be the remedy to anything. But he wants us to help. He allows us to help. Why? For the same reason I want my kids to help me rake leaves. Because my hope is, and those of you that have older kids may tell me this is a foolish hope, but my hope is that one day they will come home on their own and see that there are leaves that need to be raked. I know, but let me hope. Don't, don't, don't kill my hope. Let me dream. That they will come home and they will say, wow, there are leaves that need to be raked. Wouldn't it be great if I raked the leaves? And they go and get the rake, and they go and get the bags, and they rake the leaves, and they put them in bags, and it's all done, and I come home, and the yard has been raked. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Don't, just let me, just let me live there. Don't kill my dream. And then what would they do then? Then I would come home, and they would come, and they would come and tell me that they raked the leaves, and what would their hope be? Their hope would be, maybe that they get paid, but their hope, their hope would be that in that moment, I would say, good job. Well done. Good job. You did good. And God does, I didn't need them to rake the leaves, and God doesn't need us to do anything in his world. But part of the reason I think he lets us help and be with him and be part of this remedy and be part of this healing is so that one day we'll become the kind of people that just see that leaves need to be raked. We'll go out and rake them because that's the people that we've become. That when we see a need, we meet a need. When we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ to someone, we take that opportunity to do it. Why? Because that's the type of people we've become. That's who we are. That's the whole idea of being a disciple, right? That we would be more like Jesus. That's who we are. That we don't have to do good because we are good. Not good in the sense of we've earned our salvation, but we're good in the sense of we look for every opportunity to love our neighbor and love those around us, and we take it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. So that just like my kids, that one day we'd see Jesus and he'd say, well done. Well done, good and faithful son, good and faithful daughter. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. That part about getting paid for raking their leaves, that's biblical. Right? I mean, God says you'll get rewards. They're not going to be on this earth, maybe, but God rewards. He doesn't miss it. He's not a debtor to anyone. Well done. Good job. And that's what you and I are working for. And that's why he doesn't need our help. He allows us to help. He allows us to be part of the solution. He allows us to be part of the healing. He allows us to be part of the process. But you, when you get that opportunity to see someone and see someone's life transformed and see someone change and they give their life over to Christ or they, they just, they, they make a deeper commitment and they've done, and something is going on in their life, know that we didn't do it. Know that you didn't do it. Know that it's God and God alone. But he allows us to partner with him and be a part of it. And so he asks us to do these works. And so when it comes to this time of year and recognizing that Jesus is the ultimate remedy, but also recognize that he has called his church not just to do good so other people see it, but to be good, to look for opportunities to get a God-given burden and let it result in God-exalting praise. Look at the world around you. There's hurt, there's places of pain. Where has God placed you in a place where you can be part of the healing, where you can bring hope? God's put you there in that place for a reason. And so one of the things I want to do during these these messages is kind of give you a chance to meet some people or to hear from some people that you may not know, some of maybe in your church that you don't even know or know what they're doing, some outside the church. But I want to give you a chance to meet some people who are being a part of, they've gotten a God-given burden and they're using it to be part of that remedy, be part of that healing in the world, be part of that healing of, of, of that work in the world because there is pain in the world around us. We as Christians, we as the church are called to bring hope and healing into that. So I wanted to give you a chance to meet some people uh, each week, uh, to meet some people who are doing something to bring about remedy and healing in the world through Jesus Christ and through the gifts that Jesus has given them. So this morning, uh, I've invited uh, uh, someone who's become a, uh, someone I've known in the last year, a friend I've met in the last year. Um, about eight months ago, I guess it may not even been eight months ago. I don't know how long it was. Uh, about eight, uh, she came to a pastor's meeting. Her name is Joyce, and she came to a pastor's meeting that I was at, a prayer gathering. And she talked about this ministry that she had founded that I had never heard of. And it was called Hagar's Sisters. And as she talked about it, it was about a ministry that works to help uh, mostly women uh, are in this situation of domestic violence situations. And when she started talking, I thought, I know what domestic violence is. Okay, this is great. It's good to have a place to refer people to. It's good to have a, all right, great. Let me, I'll listen and then, and then we'll move on. The more I heard Joyce's heart and the more I listened and realized that it's a place where the church hasn't always been helpful, hasn't always been a healing place, hasn't always been a place where women can feel safe. Uh, And the more I listened, the more I thought, this issue is bigger than I realized it was, and I need to know more about this. 
And so I invited Joyce to come and talk to our pastoral staff and just share about it because we're often in counseling, you know, moments and things. And, and I honestly started to realize I think there are times that I don't notice what's going on uh, and maybe cues are being given that I'm supposed to pick up on that, that I haven't picked up on. And I thought, we need to be aware of what's going on because we're supposed to be part of the healing. We're supposed to be part of the safety. We're supposed to be part of God's love coming into a place where someone isn't feeling loved at all. And, uh, and so uh, Joyce and Hagar Sisters, really unique ministry. Um, there's very few in the country, and we are blessed to have one right here in our area. Uh, the ministry's out of Acton. So I want Joyce to come and share a little bit about her ministry. Would you welcome Joyce Holt from Hagar Sisters? How are you? <laughs> Nervous. <Good>. <laughs> <laughs> But well, we good. did it once already. So <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> well, uh, I just uh, talked a little bit, but most people, this is the first time they're hearing about Hagar's sisters, mm-hmm. the first time they're meeting Joyce. Um, Hagar's sisters is a ministry, but it came out of uh, your life, and the calling came out of circumstances in your life that are very personal, and God, Romans eight twenty eight, God took and used this to create something and call you out of it. But could you tell us a little bit about Joyce? Tell us a little bit about how this became a burden and a calling in in your life. Hagar Sisters began out of my own personal need. Um, I was um, living here in Boston. I was married. And if I were to have come to the church, you would have seen a middle-class couple. My husband would be carrying the two baby carriers in and opening the doors at the same time, being the gentleman, of course. Um, if you were on the nominating committee, you would have said, hey, this guy, you know, maybe we'll put him somewhere. Um, you would have seen us singing on the praise team and in the choir. And um, the thing that people didn't know was that when we got home, that there was something terrible going on, that he was abusing me. So the abuse usually started over very small things. It could be something as simple as the fact that I put the coffee grounds in the garbage disposal when he had said not to. Um, but, of course, he then put the grounds in the, in the garbage disposal. Or, um, mm. yeah, it, it, can, it can be just anything small. But the result was um, a huge blow-up mm. of anger and physical and verbal abuse. Um, The physical abuse started out small with him um, blocking my way to get out of a room or or pushing me or something like that. Um, But it got more and more significant as time went on. Um, But I didn't realize what constituted abuse. I didn't realize that even the threat of being harmed was um, enough to manipulate a person into doing exactly what you want. Um, Because abuse isn't about anger at all. Abuse is about power and control. So um, he would use those tactics to control me, and that was the, the physical. And I used to wish that he would hit me, because then I could justify leaving. But um, even though I had been choked, um, even though he had, um, Mm. um, 
I had called 911, mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff, uh, I didn't consider it abuse. So the physical abuse was one thing, but the verbal abuse, if you talk to women who have experienced both, they'll often say that it's the verbal abuse that actually is the thing that steals your soul and has a laster, longer lasting impact on you. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I was experiencing all of this, but I didn't even realize that what I was going through was abuse. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know the statistics that one out of three women will be abused in their lifetime that um, the American, let me see, the U.S. Surgeon General um, has named domestic violence as the leading cause of injury to women and is more frequent than muggings, mm -hmm. rape, and cancer deaths combined. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a lot of women. Yeah. Um, that statistic is for ages 15 through 44. Mm -hmm. Now, we're also, I'm talking about women and I forgot to mention this in the first service, domestic violence also happens to men. Mm. Um, statistics are about 95% are uh, of those who are abused are women, but I believe out of my own experience of ministering to people that um, men less frequently report that. So um, I was in this situation and it was getting worse and worse. I was in isolation, um, and uh, I didn't know what to do, and I started really pouring my heart out to the Lord and saying, God, you know, you hate divorce. What, what should I do? God, you know, you want me to forgive. You want, want us to submit one to another. You know, what does that look like in the face of abuse? Well, I finally heard the Lord um, speak to me and release me from that abusive marriage. And I'm here with my new husband today, so <laughs> I want to make that point clear. Um, but um, uh, as I then went to my church, um, I didn't get the reaction and response that I had anticipated. None of my family lived in the Boston area. So my church family, like the choir, the praise team, they were my church family. And I expected to be fully embraced and finally letting out this secret that held so much shame for me. And when I went to them, um, it was exactly the opposite. Mm. It, was, it was of all the hurt and pain of the situation, probably the experience with the church was really up there right along with the abuse. Um, they had said that because in the praise team I was in a ministry position that I needed to step down. Um, from that, that I could no longer participate in the choir. And so I started doing a Sunday school class um, to become a member. And um, they asked me to withdraw my application for membership. Mm. Yeah, I know. It, mm. it, was, um, it was terribly hurtful. I wake mm. up in the middle of the night crying about that. Um, so I started, I, I really said to the Lord, okay, God, if you can make this different for someone else, Make it different through me. Make it so that no other woman has to go through this. And I started visiting other churches, um, hoping that God would call me to another church. But he said, stay. Um, so I stayed. 
But every time I would go to an event, a Sunday school class that I went to was um, submit yourselves one to another. And the teacher said, you know, turn to the person next to you and answer these questions. And I said to the woman next to me, I said, I'm not so sure I'm the best person for you to partner with. And she said, well, you know, I was thinking the same thing. She said, I'm going through um, a divorce. And I said, I am too. And she said, but mine's not normal. I have a restraining order against my husband. And I said, I do too. So um, within six months, there were five of us who God just put one right next to me. And, you know, I wasn't out there trying to find women. God, it was divine appointments. So all the women, um, I just started inviting them to my home. And we really sought the Lord. We prayed uh, and prayed and prayed for each other, for God's will in our lives, um, had guest speakers come and tell us about what domestic mm-hmm. violence was. Um, we shared resources with each other of, you know, how do we handle things. Um, and um, so mm-hmm. that was the beginning of Hagar Sisters. What did you find sisters. when you looked for Christian ministries that were doing this and, and helping oh. in these situations? Were there any out there? Um, there are Christian ministries out there that do training on domestic violence, but none of them serve the women. Mm. Um, no direct services. There's Hagar Sisters is one out of five organizations across the United States that serves mm. women directly that mm. are going through domestic violence. And what does that service look like? What do you guys? What, what, what mm-hmm. does it do? What do you guys do? Right. Well, that group that we originally got started um, became a support group. And um, so we have various studies and different kinds of support groups um, now that we offer. Um, But also, we recognize that people really couldn't start to focus on the healing that they needed, couldn't really focus on what God wanted for them until they were safe and that Mm -hmm. they had the the basics of life, food, shelter, um, all of those things. So we expanded the organization to include safety planning, Um, which even if a person's never had any physical abuse, that can happen um, when she is thinking of separating. But then also we do resources referral, which empowers the women who, like me, were at home with babies and no job and no money to actually be able to, to leave. And you do other. You do some big events throughout the year. You just had one this past week. There's a picture from it. Um, and uh, tell us about this event. Or is y- yes, I'd Amy? love, I'd Amy, love to Amy to come and tell Amy? us about yeah. the... Um, she's... Would you welcome Amy as she comes to share as well? <laughs> Amy is one of the sisters at yes. Hagar's Sisters, right? Thank yes. you for coming, Amy. Will you tell us? about the event and your experience? I'd love to. Well, as you can see on the tables behind me, um, this is one of the gift tables. And when we walked into the room, we this was kind of a secret event. They didn't tell us what was going on other than there was a big surprise. And we walked in, and this room was full of gifts. And I thought, oh, are we going to package these up and give them to somebody needy? Or, you know, was there something that we were going to do with these gifts? And they were for us. I couldn't believe it. 
And they, they told us that we could select three gifts off of each table. There were two tables there. You can see one of them. And I thought, wow, these are for us? We get to choose three? I have two teenage girls, and so my girls were thrilled. There's a woman um, that s- supports Hagar's sisters um, through her jewelry um, uh, company, and she donates almost 75% of the jewelry that's there is from her company. And um, so I was able to select a couple of pieces of jewelry for my children, and I thought, wow, there's so much left over. They're going to have a lot for next year. And I was really excited because then the women next year would be um, blessed also. And we sat down, and we, we were ministered to by a pastor, and then we were given a donation. Oh, you're not going to believe this, a $100 gift certificate to a um, grocery store. And I was overwhelmed. This is such a blessing to my family, you guys. And then they, they said, okay, ladies, now you can go back up and take what you need off of these gift tables. They weren't for the ladies next year. They were for us. And it was so wonderful. It was just such an overwhelming experience to be blessed like this. Because I don't know if any of you have ever gone and taken one of those names off the angel tree um, selection. When I was previously married um, to my abusive spouse, we used to go and select a name. And we would, we would support an angel tree. So in my previous life, we, would, we were the supporters. We were the ones giving. And it's not my choice to now be the one that receives, but it is the Lord's choice that I do receive. And I receive graciously, and I receive thankfully. And in fact, one of my girlfriends is here this morning, and she um, made an opportunity for us to receive um, a secret Santa gift for my children. So it's very humbling, but it's my turn to receive. And it's, it's others' turns to give. And the Lord calls all of us to either give or to receive or to go. Sometimes it's our, our job, as Joyce does, is to go and to be ministered, um, ministers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though I'm a sister, I also get to share the word of God with our group. Um, we have a group of about five or six um, women. And there were two women that are, are brand new to Jesus Christ or bra- brand new to the church. And they would speak, and you could tell. They didn't know much about the Lord, you guys. And I had the opportunity to share Jesus with them. I got to be Jesus to them. I got to encourage them. And they kept coming back because they had the exact same need that I did. We were lonely. We were hurting. We were in pain. And we received hope and healing. But these women also received Jesus Christ. They get to be filled with the gospel. They get to be filled with the truth, which is what some of these other programs, because I've been involved in other programs for almost a decade, um, this is what Hagar Sisters offers is the Lord Jesus Christ. And these women now, they're getting the support they need to get help and to get um, the healing they need, but they also are hearing the gospel. Um, You can also see some of the other gifts behind me um, that that we received and it was again it just incredible these were gently used clothes um that were given and also talbots had um donated some of their their new clothes <laughs> um and we were able to take bags of clothes home shoes and sometimes um my children took home some um 
games that they're going to receive for Christmas. It, it, it was overwhelming, things that I could have never afforded to give to them, that the Lord just miraculously was able to give us through the, the giving of many. And as a sister, I, I didn't have the financial um, uh, means to be able to support myself through um, this class that we did. And so I had a sponsor that didn't know me, didn't love me, didn't, didn't know enough about me, but they said, I want to support a sister. And so they donated, and I was able to take the class through their generous um, donation. And I'm so thankful for Hagar Sisters because now I have a place to go and to get the support and comfort and friendship that I need. Um, and I can keep going, and I can keep just popping in and um, getting the support mm-hmm. through this. It's not just about the gifts. It's about the continual emotional support. So I'm very thankful for Hagar Sisters. Can I add just one thing to that, Rick? Um, it's really surprising to hear this. Um, but a lot of the women, when they've come through the program, they'll come in and spend two or more years with us. Um, they come to a place where they know the Lord in such a new and profound way that from those who have made it through to the other side, they'll say, I would never give up my experience of abuse because of my relationship with the Lord now. Um, the Lord is doing mighty things in the lives of the women. Well, my next question, Joyce, was going to be about the hope that you see, but I think the hope that you see is sitting beside you, and, yes. and you had mentioned when we talked the other day, you said uh, you know, something that really caught my attention. You said uh, many of these women you know, being in situations where they felt extremely unloved by the people, the person that had pledged to love them the most, to now receive love from strangers is, is, is quite, a, quite an experience for them. It's really difficult. Um, One woman called in for the first time and, of course, was in tears, and I was handling that call. Um, But just my kindness to her and my willingness to listen, um, although she was tearful through most of the, um, the conversation, I was expressing the love of Christ to her, and she said, I... Don't, don't be nice to me. You're being too nice to me. I can't handle that. And she hung up on me. And I didn't know if we would ever hear from her again. But she has uh, come to Hagar's yeah. sister. She's accepted the Lord. And she's been with us for about six years. Yeah. So. Well, if people want to get involved and help, I know you've got a table out there. There's a number of opportunities to uh, be a support. You guys are in Acton. You're not far. You're a local ministry. Um, and so there's opportunities. People can sign up and see you if they, um, uh, they want to get involved and help with Hagar Sisters. Absolutely. Great, great. Well, thank you, Joyce and Amy, for being here. Would you thank them once again? Thank you. Thank you, our music team to come back. It's a great picture. I really appreciate Joyce and Amy being here and more appreciate just the following of God's call. Here's something that the church doesn't sometimes talk about a lot, isn't aware of. If you ask most people, they'd say, no, that's not going on in the church. But if you ask some people, you say, no, I know someone 
someone's shared with me, someone's opened up with me, someone's talked with me, and they haven't known where to go for help. And, uh, you know, one-third is a, is a big percentage, which means if it's not happening to you and in your situation, and that it's probably happened or happening to someone you know. And uh, so we want to see hope and healing, right? That's what we're talking about. You know, Jesus brings hope and healing. And, uh, and we want to see ministries also that will bring hope and healing to people's lives. And Hagar's sister's a great example of that. I encourage you to stop by the table on your way out. And I ask you to stand as we close out our service. Two things I'll ask of you on your way out as you're going today, as you're praying, as you're thinking to takeaways from this service. And the first one is this. What is your God-given burden when it comes to giving to others? What is your God-given burden? And if you don't have one, that's okay. But spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in God's presence this week. And maybe you can ask Him for that God-given burden. Not just, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be done. There's a lot of things that you could get involved with. There's hurt and pain all everywhere. But what is the God-given burden for you? Where does God want you to serve? Where does God want you to be the remedy? Where does God want you to show his love? Where does God want you to invite the crippled, the lame, the blind? We all have something we can give. You know, he's ta- Jesus is talking to this Pharisee. It was just dinner. It was just lunch. You know, just, just invite people who don't normally get invited. Where does God want you to show his love? Second thing is this. Second challenge. This is a challenge for you this week that I challenge you with and I dare you to do it this week. Find one place where you can show the love of God, giving, giving something to someone or, or, or whatever it might be, and no one else finds out about it. No one else. Not the person you give it to, not your spouse if you're married, not your best friend, not your Facebook friends. Nobody knows. Do something loving for someone because that's basically what Jesus was telling this Pharisee to do. And he says in another passage, he says, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just give so your heavenly Father sees you giving. Just give so your heavenly Father sees you giving. Because you know what happens then? When it's only you and God that know about it, you know what happens? You and God have a secret. And it creates intimacy between you and the Lord because you have a secret that only he knows about so I challenge you I dare you this week find a place around you where you can show the love of Christ and as much as it's hard for you to do just don't tell anyone and let your heavenly father see it and let him reward you father we thank you for your love and your grace I thank you for God-given burdens and God-exalting praise. I thank you for the testimony of Joyce and Hagar's sisters, for the work that you're doing through them, for these women that have found in you the love that they need, the love that you have created them to experience, that they've found it in Christ. Lord, we pray that you continue to bless that ministry, allow them to minister to women and to see hope and healing come to lives, uh, Lord, through that ministry. God, and I do pray for each of us that you'd give us that God-given burden. 
Lord, and challenge us, Lord, to be the remedy around us, Jesus Christ working through us, that we would be a part of partnering with you and seeing hope and healing coming to the world around us, that we would not just do good, that we would be good, never missing an opportunity to be good to the people around us. In Jesus' name.